Ben came to me and said, Jim, I want you to preach. I won't be here. The theme is halfway. Doesn't give you a whole lot. (laughs) But knowing Ben, he wrote a whole lot. And although I haven't necessarily um, picked up on necessarily his thoughts, the moment he said, I want you to preach about a theme being halfway, I thought of a scripture passage. It just came to me absolutely immediately. And if I can get Anna to stick that up, that would be great. Um, It's from Matthew chapter 14, from verse 22. Now, you'll notice that there are red words up there. And if you're a keen uh, kind of preacher type of person, you'll probably know that they're going to be the points that I pick up on. Just letting you in on that. But this is a story of our lives, in my estimation. This is the absolutely classic story that tells us about our life of faith. Um, it's Peter's story, and it's got the disciples in it, and it's Jesus' story, but it indeed is our story. It says... Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up onto the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Thanks, Anna, I'll get you to flick the next one. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he was afraid and began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. After reading that story, I wonder what your immediate thought is about Peter. I mean, you read something and you get a thought. Most of the kids at school just sit there dumbly. But when, when, when we read something, something always, if we're reading with a sense of seeking or learning, something always jumps out. Now, it might have been what jumped out for you was um, his fear. It might have jumped out because we, we all experience fear. We get fear. If you don't get fear, then I actually think you're in a pretty dangerous position. I think good Lord gave us the ability to feel pain and fear so we pull away from things that are actually quite dangerous to us. Person without fear hurts themselves. So it may have been Peter's fear that jumps out. It might have been the fact 
that Peter failed. And failure is very much a part of our human beingness. We fail. Uh, some of the, the, all of the, the, the people are the greatest people that have done the greatest things on earth. You'll always find a story that uh, it was precipitated with, fear, uh, with failure before. Failure is a part of any success that they ever had. But it's possible this morning that you might have seen faith jumping out of that page. And I want to suggest to you this morning that all three of them are there. It's interesting, isn't it? He asked, he didn't ask to get in the boat. Jesus put him in the boat. But he did go out. And when he went out, stuff happens. How many of you know that how we start Hopefully it finishes better, but the big bookend, I got told there were two bookends when I came into church this morning. There's two big bookends from the start to the finish, and anywhere along that we might, be, we might call halfway. And in that space, fear and failure, you could write books about them. There'd be successes, but it's all there. It's the story of failure, but there's a story that's come through from the singing this morning and Jeremy's message to us this morning as well, that there's the hand that's on us. There is a hand that doesn't slip off us when we fail. We don't earn God's hand upon our life by not being afraid. It's in the condition of our lives. It's the life of faith to have fear and failure right smack bang all around it and in it. So I want to tell not only the story of Peter, but I want to tell our story. There's 60 people here. I can't pick up on you all. But I can pick up on my dad. And of course, the reason why I'm thinking like this is because dad's just passed on. But dad was a classic where God told him to go. He was a doctor. Could have done a lot of things, Dad. He married a beautiful lady, a saint, an angel in disguise, I reckon. Could have done a lot with Mum. Could have sat in Crystal Brook. I still meet people that say, your dad brought me into the world. He was only there for a couple of years. Could have had massive influence. Could have had the good things in life. He was a doctor. Uh, but God told mum and dad to go. They had no idea where they were going when they went to Sydney, to the Bible school. They had no idea that they would end up in a boat. And it wasn't a very nice boat at all. It was just like that boat, in fact. Mum says it was the most terrible trip you could possibly imagine. She vomited the whole way. And she could smell that boat for decades after. The stench of ugh, trial and difficulty, the, the bitterness and the worm. But they land there and Dad busts his guts, quite literally, for nine years, eight and a half years. He had to build a bridge with great big trees 
and then the rains would come and wash the bridge away and have to build it again. Had to build a hospital out in the middle of nowhere. The government was suspicious of him. Build a hospital, and Dad said to me one day, he told me this a couple of times, he said, I said, how did it go? And he said, they died like flies. He said, they were scared to come to the hospital. They were animists, believed in the spirit world, didn't know what a white man and his wife and an increasing number of kids were doing in a house in the middle of nowhere. And he said, they only come, came to him when they were almost dead. And then he had to train local people called dressers. They called them, it's a term they give for people that are helping in the hospital. And the dressers were just more interested in getting ahead themselves. And Dad got angry. And Dad got tired. And Dad got frustrated. And Dad preached in the middle of all that. Had six kids in the middle of all that. Dad told me one day that he shook his fist at God and went to the top of a mountain, not to pray, but to shout at God. Because one of his dressers um, had a child under the age of one year old in their hut, and a hyena had come in and taken the child. And the whole place was completely devastated. Um, I can remember Dad saying that he shouted at God, and he shook his fist at God and said, if you ever take one of my children, I'll, I don't know what, how he finished the sentence, but that's what he said. A missionary gone, halfway, there was plenty of fear, but there was anger, there was failure in his mind. And comes back and comes to Burnside, and do you know what? I always knew, but Dad didn't. It took Dad quite some time. He was never a failure. We never viewed it that way. Every person that ever spoke to me about Dad's missionary service never spoke of his failure, talked about what he did. It was amazing. But he came back, and for years and years and years, I'm telling you this because he told me, and he told others that he was a failure. But what an amazing story of faith uh, that happened in his latter years, which I haven't really got time to tell you right now. But what I do know is the hand of God that drew Peter up when he saw the wind and the waves and began to sink was the same hand that carried my dad, carries you. In fact, dad became very fond of hands. Mum used to sit with him for three hours every day and they just basically held hands and spoke. I know Ted tells me that he visited him every Sunday morning for what we might call the church service, and they held hands. Tim told me last night, my own son, he said, whenever they visited Dad, Dad always took his hand. And my brother Peter, who's had a rocky life in itself, came down from Darwin just before he died and Peter went and visited him for three hours. Peter's not a group social butterfly. He hasn't got a whole lot of things to say. But he came back from that experience and I said, how'd it go? You spent three hours with Dad. And he said he just held my hand. Dad got used to holding 
hands right to the very end. And he died a man of peace, in peace. Come back to Peter's story really quickly. Can we go to the first slide, Anna? That one there. The first red word says immediately. What happened before that incident? I wonder, does anyone know? Come on, I'm a teacher. What happened in the life of Peter and the disciples just before that incident? I'll tell you. We'll be sitting here for 20 minutes and I've got time. He, Jesus had just fed 5,000. He'd just done the most amazing miracle and the disciples were just copper hoop. You might call it a mountaintop experience. We've all had them. With God, we know what it is to have a mountaintop experiences. The moment you got saved, there's nothing better. When you know your sins have been counted and debt and finished and dealt with and there was nothing you could do about it, but God did everything about it. So immediately from that position, Jesus said, you go and feed them. I said, panic. And Jesus feeds them. And then the next thing Jesus does, immediately, you don't get a moment to say, wow, how amazing is God? He's providing my every need. He does and did. But immediately, Jesus made the disciples. Now, that's the NIVs. And I should have done my homework as a preacher and, and looked at what other translations said. But I'm just going with what that says. It said, Jesus said, you've got to get in the boat. Disciples have all got into the boat. And they go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Yeah, okay. Jesus made them, made them get into a boat. Do you know, I have trouble with people that come up with big ideas and then they say, you do it. You know, I have trouble with those sort of people. I, I work in the, in the industry of education, big idea people. I reckon, I reckon if you work with politicians, the same. they're getting a bad rap this morning, but they would be big idea people handballing it to someone else to do. And I just, I, look, I reckon the disciples were so up. They were, yeah, okay, we're going to go skiing or it's going to be great. It's going to be smooth sailing because look what Jesus just did a second ago. They probably didn't have any problems initially with Jesus saying, I've got an idea, you get in the boat, I'm not coming. Verse 24, it basically says... That while Jesus was praying on land, safe and secure, the disciples were in that boat and being buffeted. So, got the word buffeted there? Yeah, it has. Buffeted by the waves, the wind and the waves. There was a reason why they were being buffeted. It was because, just because of one thing, the wind was against it. Do you know, I. Looked up the word buffeted this morning just before I came. Buffeted means, quite literally, to repeatedly get banged against. Just up against it. It's not just up against it. It's the waves and the wind. Buffeting means it's just a repeating action over and over and over again. 
And there's only one reason why that's happening. And it's because the wind was against them. In Mark, it tells the same story in the book of Marks. And it says this about the disciples. Um, they were straining at the oars. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had many a day, a period in the season, where my life could be best if the title book of my life was being written, it would say straining at the oars. Why did the wind have to be against the disciples? I know what they were thinking. Do you know that word that says, really? Does it really have to be like this? Sheila says that quite often. <laughs> I've just come to me. I was trying to think, who says that? It's you, Sheila. But I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to me this morning. They're thinking, great idea. You sit it out. And we'll do the suffering. Where the heck is he? They, they were in a tough place and Jesus didn't seemingly make it any better. Because when Jesus, to coin a phrase, waltzed out there at 3am in the morning, when they were going down and they were absolutely freaking out over what we have determined was a repeated, repeated pounding. Jesus turns up and the best he can do is to terrify them. <laughs> do you know, I think this is true, being terrified comes with the territory. It just does. Every missionary bloke I've ever spoken to or gone on mission with, I'm thinking of a couple. I'm thinking of Ben this morning. He's just not eating curry. There's going to be moments of terror. Now, you, how do you define what, what, what context is that? Is it, is it gunmen? Has Dr. Cleasy had to put up with in Yemen? That's terror in its truest Way? Or is it terror to stand up in front of people and speak and you've got really nothing to say? Or you don't think you have, but something comes out. That's terror. It's terror with the unknown. Ask Andrew and Sharon about walking in the Indonesian jungle to the Dayak village, and you just really don't know what's in that Dayak village. Seems that terror comes with the territory with this walk of faith when we go. And halfway out across that white lake, they're in terror. And Jesus says, Well, he doesn't say the next thing. It's interesting. Faith. Faith comes to the surface in a sea of fear. That's what it looks like to me. Where's faith have its place in your life? On the mountaintop or in the valley? More often than not, faith is purified and real and has purpose and bears fruit from the place that these guys were sitting in, the boat. Peter says the most remarkable thing. He says, Lord, if it's you, he didn't even 
kind of know. They thought he was a ghost. If it's you, tell me to come out onto the water. And Jesus replies and just says what he's been saying for 2,000 years. To every person on earth, just come. Come as you are. Come. To get to Jesus, he had to walk on water. Well, Peter did that. You might have to flick that slide there, Anna. Peter got out of the boat. And he did come. And he came in fear and trepidation. He came when the disciples, he got his fear when he completely snapped and cried out. And now he's, he's dealing with realities. How many of you know, sitting in church listening to a sermon, when it's warm and safe and the bombs aren't going off and you've got a wage, you've got trouble. But words of life are being spoken. They've been sung about this morning. We had it in communion. I'm reading the Bible. We're just looking at what the Bible says. It's good to know the promises of God are yes and amen. Sitting in the pew with Beck at the piano and Daniel at the drums, those words are absolutely beautiful. They bring rest to your soul. But in the strife, but in the strife, it's funny. It's in the strife where faith becomes very, very real. I'm not saying worship's not real. I'm not saying a listening ear to God's word is not real. It is. God tells us to have an ear that hears and a heart that sings. But in the midst of your life, your halfway life, wherever you're at right now, faith is what can spring out. And you say, Jim, you don't know my life. You don't know the Battering, I was going to say the buffing. Do you know mundane is terrifying? I think mundane is terrifying. Groundhog day, the same day, the same day, the same day. Being left behind, being walked past, being unacknowledged. It could be fear of the future, but I'm thinking, and Jesus warns us that. He says, don't bring tomorrow into today. It's too much. It means today's got to be tough. Don't make it tougher. But out of that comes this remarkable story of faith. Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And I think absolutely so would you and I. He did not fail at that point. He just was a human being. Just as you are a human being, fear is not sin. Failure is not sin. And even if it was sin, sin, sin all the way through, the response is, Lord, save me. And that's what Jesus does. And that's what he did. In fact, if I could turn it red, I would go immediately all over again. Immediately, Jesus put him in that position 
Immediately he rescues you from whatever it is that you're going through. It says Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He did say it's all about faith. This is all about faith. But I want you to notice something. Where does it say Jesus picked him up and carried him back to the boat? They walked back to the boat. Jesus put his hand on him, held hands, and in my estimation, they walked back to the boat together. Peter walked on water twice. Both times Jesus was there. But this second time, Jesus' hand is in his hand. More than that, he walked him back, he put him in the boat. And then more than that, Jesus got in the boat with him. What is your place? What is your position? What's your halfway point in your faith walk this morning? Whatever it is, Jesus is with you as being the theme all morning. I want to tell you two more stories to finish. There was a woman called Elizabeth Elliot. I only read two books in my life as a youngster. I hated reading. I wanted to kick footies and play backyard cricket. Made regular tons in the backyard. I looked forward to the next opportunity. Books just got in the way. I read Sun and the Stubble, Colin Teeley. Hand up if you read that. Whoa, some nerds out there. I mean, that was the only book I read until I read this book, Through the Gates of Splendour. Hands up if you've read that one. Three or four hands up. I, I read it because... My mum and dad made me, not get in a boat, but made me come to Sunday school every Sunday. I don't remember missing a day of Sunday school in my entire life. And the outshot from that is I got 100% stickers. And I went into the, what isn't the word, bookshop, it was Scripture Union or something. And I, we bought Through the Gates of Splendour. Mum made me buy Through the Gates of Splendour. But I sat down and I could not put that book down. Really quickly, the story is five young blokes that God said, go, get in the boat. In this case, get in a plane. Go to Ecuador and go and evangelise the Orca Indians. Go and tell them about me. So they did that. And one day, as you read the book, they landed their plane, their seaplane on a river. And they got out tried to make contact, or they had previously made contact by dropping stuff to say that they were friends. But nobody knows exactly what happened, but they were all speared to death. All five of these missionary young men, Jim Elliot, his name was. So that's a halfway story. You might say that's the finish of Jim Elliot's story, but it wasn't. Elizabeth Elliot... Um, was the wife, the young wife, and after a period of time she went back and found her way to that village and for two years she spent with that village and my understanding is many of them came to become believers. The man that speared Elizabeth's husband, Jim, ended up baptising their own child. So I don't know if you understood that. But the Indian who killed Jim came to the Lord and ultimately he baptised 
um, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot's child as a believer in Jesus Christ. What a story. But this is what Elizabeth Elliot came up on Facebook. I don't spend too much time, I actually do, um, on Facebook. And this came up in a feed in Facebook this week. It was a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. She says this, To pray thy will be done, I must be willing, if the answer requires it, that my will be undone. How do you make sense of your faith journey? Well, you make sense of it by saying at the start when I believed in Jesus, it meant no matter what I do through to the end, Jesus is not going to leave me. Failure, fear, every condition. And at any given point along that, I say, Lord, save me. He immediately, but he never left me. Desperate people cry out, save me. Lamentations was a classic reading. David said, this poor man cried out to the Lord and the Lord delivered him from all of his fears. It's our condition. It's the faith walk to be terrified, to fail, to be afraid, to question even your own faith, as my dad did. He didn't question his faith, he just questioned his failure for so long. But God put his hand on Dad, as God put his hand on another lady called Grace Fabian. Uh, Grace Fabian, Fabian had a, a husband called Jim. Jim's everywhere. Uh, I remember this story really clearly because Grace stood at this point here and told us the story herself. Uh, Grace and Jim uh, Fabian were Americans that went to New Guinea to be Bible translators. Whilst translating 1 Corinthians 13, the bit about love, the local helper translator had a moment of darkness. It's the only way people have been able to describe what happened. And he picked up an axe And he drove the axe through the back of Jim's head while they were translating 1 Corinthians 13. And you would think... And and then the aftermath was pretty tough too, but I'm not here to tell the whole story. I'm just telling you that's the halfway story for Grace Fabian. And Grace stood here and she told us, and I never forgot it, she said... I was asked a question one day that went like this. Grace, if you knew that Jim would die in the way he died before you went out there, would you have gone to the PNG as missionaries if you knew it was going to finish this way? And she gave the most remarkable answer. She said this. He already died. As we knelt on our knees in a Cairns motel just before they flew the last bit to the PNG to start their mission service, we got down on our knees and we surrendered our lives to God and to his will. And then she said, Jim died in the motel room. He didn't die in New Guinea. 
Grace also spoke that day about this same incident, the boat. She said, there were days after that where I was not like Peter. She said, it was months I, did, I was not going to get out of the boat. I couldn't walk on water again. And she said, on those days, Jesus got in the boat with her. I don't know if halfway's the right term, but I don't know if we're halfway. Some of us, I've got to tell you, if you don't know already, you're pretty close to the end. <laughs> but I don't think halfway is a time continuum. It's a sense of you made a start with God. I have met literally hundreds of men in particular that have had a start with God, they actually still believe in God. Well, they wouldn't be coming to the meetings, but they've got trouble. And they're down on themselves and down on everyone else. And they've got failure in their own minds. And they're aiming for a finish, but what does that mean for them? We're all in the same boat. We are. We've all been called to walk on water. We've all bought the ticket that says terror. But we've all got a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who at any point immediately hears the cry, the broken heart of the widow, the one that's in fear, and takes hold. I'm going to get Anna just to... And I'm going to sit down, actually, because I'm going to find it hard myself. But my dad had a favourite song and every time he came home, uh, mum would put this Don Francisco song on and we played it at his funeral. Before the funeral, it kind of says exactly uh, what I've been saying this morning. It's going to be as a, a, a personal response for you to sit back and look at the lyrics and look at the song. Uh, when the song is finished, that's the end of the service, uh, we invite you to come out the back and fellowship with us back there and understand that we're all in this together as believers in our walk of faith. We got that song, Anna? hide your fear Embarrassed by your weaknesses Afraid to let me near I wish you knew how much I long for you to understand No matter what may happen child I'll never let go of your hand Know you've been forsaken by all you've known before When you failed their expectations, they frowned and closed the door But even though your heart itself should lose the will to stand No matter what may happen, child, I'll never let go of your hand The life that I have given you 
no one can take away I've sealed it with my spirit, blood and word The everlasting Father has made His covenant with you And He's stronger than the world you've seen and heard So don't you fear to show them all the love I have for you I'll be with you everywhere In everything you do And even if you do it wrong And miss the joy I've planned I'll never Never let go of your hand Life that I have given you, no one can take away I've sealed it with my spirit, blood and word The everlasting Father has made His covenant with you And He's stronger than the world you've seen and heard So don't you fear to show them all the love I have for you I'll be with you everywhere in everything you do And even if you do it wrong and miss the joy I've planned I'll never, never let go of your hand Never let go of your hand